With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Life Happens Radio. This is our radio show where we talk about aging as a lifestyle, planning, things that can go wrong in planning, Medicaid eligibility, protecting assets, making sure your family is set up if something happens to you. Uh, That may be with planning documents. That may be because you're in court. Uh, Good morning, everybody. I'm Aaron Connor from Pure O'Connor and Strauss. Joined by uh, my litigation compadre, Jacob. Good morning, Jacob. Good morning, Aaron. So I like to think, anyway, that our litigation shows are our most interesting shows because I think people have notions about what goes on in a courtroom or what goes on in a court case. It certainly doesn't happen inside an hour, like in a Law and Order episode, that's for sure. Um, And I think that TV and movies because of their scale can't really show what what the ins and outs of these things are but that's that's how most people uh become accustomed to these things and quite honestly if that's the only way you ever become accustomed to a courtroom then you've you've had a, a good run because people can be in a courtroom for all sorts of different reasons obviously sometimes people get arrested right we don't really deal with that sometimes people get divorced or there's custody issues we don't really, we don't deal with that either. Um, but those are ways to end up in a courtroom. And a lot of times people don't think of estate planners in a courtroom, but we're not just planners at Pierre O'Connor and Strauss. We're also estate and trust and guardianship litigators. And that kind of separates us from other people in our marketplace because most firms don't have any interest in touching any of this. And a fair number of referrals, to be fair, come from lawyers who do some of the work that we do as far as planning. Now, I don't think they do it as well as we do, but hey, that's that's just who I am. So litigation, or if you want to maybe more globally title it dispute resolution, or maybe that's put... Right. I was going to suggest that, right? Because yeah. litigation, I think uh, people, people think litigation, um, they think courtrooms, mm-hmm. they think businesses suing businesses, uh, Personal injury, I think, comes right. up a lot when you're just thinking, uh, you know, layman uh, right. thinking about litigation. But really, litigation just means adversarial, right? It means right. that there's one party who has an adversarial or a converse position to another side. There's some sort of dispute. It's often about money, but it's not always about money. You mentioned guardianship, for example. Guardianship is rarely, uh, well, under the surf it may, right. surface, it may be about money, but it on, can be, on the surface but, level, it's, it's really right. about who's going to take care of somebody. And, right. and, and some very heated and emotional disputes can arise relative to who's going to take care of that individual. Um, but at the end of the day, when we say litigation, what we're really referring to is an adversarial proceeding of some sort with at least two, often three, four, five differing right. uh, uh, positions. And the process and processes, like we're going to talk about today, by which we work through those disputes and try to reach either a decision right, from a judge or an, an arbitrator or otherwise reach some sort of agreement, which uh, 
not everybody's always happy with, but, uh, you know, sometimes it makes the most sense to uh, to reach an amicable resolution. Yeah, so I think sometimes potential clients come to us with the idea that they're going to be vindicated in court, okay? Is there a possibility of that? There is a small possibility of that. And one of the issues faced with that is, depending on the hearing and the type of evidence and the number of witnesses, a hearing can go on for days, which means thousands upon thousands of dollars in legal fees. Then if you win that hearing and you get a judgment, you have to consider whether or what you can apply that judgment against if you're winning money, all right? If it's a guardianship and we're taking control, that's one thing. But sometimes in a guardianship, we then have to go after other assets, right? More often than not, in a guardianship, we're fixing, fixing things going forward than backward, but not always. But just because you get a judgment isn't really the end of everything in a pure litigation standpoint. There are two levels of appeal available after that. There is also, even before you get to that point, motions for rehearing and reconsideration, which are often done uh, because a misapprehension of the law or a misfact or you think that some evidence ruling was wrong. All of those things can go on for years. So winning in a courtroom is kind of a pyrrhic victory in that it's not the be-all, end-all, and it doesn't end the scenario. Oftentimes, if a case goes all the way through a hearing or through a trial, the other party that you're seeking a monetary uh, settlement or a monetary uh, award from may have already spent all of the money that you're seeking on the litigation itself. True. So what Aaron is suggesting is if a judge or an arbitrator, right, those are the two types of binding legal processes, meaning uh, a decision from either a judge or an arbitrator generally is binding upon the parties. That's unlike a mediator, like we're going to discuss in a little bit here, where the parties are, are really just voluntarily entering into a, into a settlement of some sort. But if the other side has spent all of the money and there's no other assets that are in that person's or entity's name, a judge can declare you the victor, right? You win. You, pre- you prevail on all points. Here's a million dollars. Where are you going to get that million dollars from if all the money's gone and all the assets have been spent on the, the legal battle, right? So we talk a lot about a paper judgment. It's, it's uh, often useless because now what do you have to do? You actually have to spend even more money on legal fees to go through what's known as an enforcement proceeding. Right. And you have to what's called attach uh, uh, certain assets if they're available. That often involves hiring private investigators, uh, doing a person search and trying to determine does this person have, you know, an insurance policy that maybe you can attach? Does do they have, you know, vehicles aren't really uh, easily some, attachable, and they're not really something <clears throat> no. that's going to pay a large settlement, right? You're really looking for houses and real property. Well, and and wage garnishment in New York is basically, you know, is very difficult too because it's such a low portion of the money. Exactly. So people need to be aware of that in, unless somebody makes an outlandish amount of money, mm-hmm. wage garnishment is not going to provide you with very much. Correct. And we don't see that very often. Correct. Right? It's, it's, it's often the case that these are, you know, most of us are average humans out there working fairly average jobs. And the disputes that we are, are handling for people are, are, you know, typical people, your right. neighbors and friends and family, right? These are the people that we're representing in a lot of these proceedings. Um, and, and, you 
know, unfortunately, that means that there isn't always money available uh, for the big award at the end. And more importantly, it doesn't heal Correct. all of the emotional trauma and, and the pain that you've experienced by being wronged by that individual for sometimes years, sometimes decades. Uh, you know, getting a large sum of money at the end of this, that doesn't fix that. It might help pay for the therapy later. That's it. That's, That's about it. <laughs> but it's still going to be necessary. So I, that is a big threshold. Um, just in a discussion with a client, we as the lawyer have to decide whether we can work with this person and whether this person is going to be reasonable. So we have to do generally, and I tell this to all clients, these are, and it was told to me by a very experienced lawyer that lawsuits are about transferring money from one party to another. That's really what it's about. It's not about righting wrongs or justice or that kind of thing. Maybe in some small form or another, the transfer of money is, is doing that, but that's really what it's about. And, and maybe in some cases, like discrimination cases and stuff mm -hmm. like that, there's a, a an aspect of, of justice right. as, as we want to perceive justice, right? right. Uh, the court may force somebody to, to do something or stop doing something. That's right. known as adjunctive relief. But for the most part, we're talking about an, a, a transfer of a sum of money at the right. end of these things. And. If that is not going to satisfy somebody, we really can't help them, right? There's rare cases, and I would put another rare cases. Sometimes you can get specific performance, which is extremely rare, generally just on a real estate contract. If someone has said that they're going to transfer you property and they don't, that you maybe get what we call specific performance on, that they have to do that. In other words, instead of a sum of money, you're going to get that exact parcel of real property that you entered into the contract for. But even in those cases, judges are often reluctant to right. do that. Correct. And th there's a lot of just general concerns policy-wise with, with making somebody do something against mm -hmm. their will. Much harder than, than getting them to, to hand over a sum of money. Correct. So if, if that isn't going to satisfy you, right, we can't really help you because I can't make you feel better. I can't do a lot of things. So generally, these suits are about money getting you money to in some way repair the injury that you've suffered. So when we're vetting a client, we have to make sure that they understand that that's what we can accomplish for them. We're going to do a good job. We're going to get them, you know, a significant amount of money when warranted. But at the end of the day, that's where we're going to be. And if someone says, well, this is really about the principal to me, that is going to be, I appreciate it. Okay. From a, just a moral standpoint, but from an economic standpoint, it's going to be a money pit and you're going to be dissatisfied because the results are not going to be what you want them to be. So we need to think about those things. And if you're thinking about litigation or mediation or arbitration, you need to, to be realistic about what can be accomplished. So I think now would be a good time to take our first break. When we come back, we can get into the nitty gritty of the differences between these various dispute resolution arms. This is Life Happens Radio. I'm Aaron Connor from Pierre O'Connor and Strauss, and we will be back right after this.
Welcome back to Life Happens Radio. I'm Aaron Connor from Bureau Connor and Strauss, joined by Jacob Bergerow. We are talking litigation, arbitration, mediation. Uh, sounds like a line from we didn't start the fire, but uh, technically we didn't start the fire, but we are now in there trying to put it out in uh, these trying to resolve some disputes. Um, these are different avenues that are available. They've arbitration and mediation have grown out of a distaste for litigation, really, and what can go into litigation. And for exactly the reasons we were just discussing. Right. Right. In litigation, people often come to us. They want to have their emotions re-intact, right? They want to have uh, their their day in court to be able to say and, 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 you know, explain all of the things they've been through. Some people just want to be heard, and, and, it, and it's not a really a forum for that either. Correct. But mediation, right, something that's being pushed by a lot of judges these days, uh, you know, with actual court-mandated uh, mediation sessions, uh, you know, where – the court essentially says before these parties spend tens of thousands of dollars on litigation and days and days of trial, I'm going to make sure that they first get into a room together. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation? where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission. At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. They bring in a third-party neutral who looks and feels like a judge, but isn't a judge. Why? Because in mediation, that person's not going to have binding decision-making authority. Right. Mediation is, they're all varying degrees of informal, right? But mediation is the most informal. It's now pretty much required in almost every surrogate court litigation case that there be a mediation session. You can opt out if your parties are absolutely decided that they're not going to do it. That doesn't always look very good. Correct. If, if the judge is encouraging you. That's right. So when I say mandated, right? Right. I don't always mean that the judge is actually directing two or more parties. Like, Correct. going to go in this room and try to settle things. What I mean is this is the judge who's ultimately going to be deciding your case. And if right. this judge says, hey, I really strongly encourage you guys to go give a solid effort with a uh, mediator present, try to resolve this. The idea of us rejecting that on his face is is not advisable. Correct. Ninety nine percent of of those Correct. cases. Could not agree more. Um, you don't want to ever be the bad guy if you can help it. Um, I think most judges know me, and I think some of them know Jacob, and more of them will know Jacob over time. But we try to work to a solution in these cases. We're not. Uh, Hell bent. I think I can say that on um, doing one thing or the other, or we're going to litigate this case to the end. Now, don't get me wrong. Sometimes we have to litigate a case to an end, but most of the time when I take a case on, I have a pretty good idea of where I think it should land. 
as far as the resolution. Am I always right? Probably not. But most of the time, I have a really good idea of where we need to be. Um, and that's important because, again, we're going to set expectations. Now, what some people don't understand about mediation, arbitration, or just even a settlement in a court action is that you may, may be able to get terms that are not actually available if you go to a judgment, right? The judge doesn't have jurisdiction on certain things. But if you and opposing parties want to agree, let's say, I don't know, let's say that a piece of property had been transferred and it's not subject to the instant guardianship proceeding. And you want to come up with a solution about that as part of a guardianship proceeding, it can be worked into an order, but it can only be done on consent. Or if you're doing some kind of turnover proceeding, but you also want to make sure that someone has access to mom or dad or anything like that, there's a, there's a million different things that can go into a settlement that can't really go into a judgment. Right. Settlement, settlement negotiations outside of, of a courtroom and outside of, of a mediator and formal mediation both lend themselves to being far more creative in the approach we can take in achieving a, a settlement. We can often tie items in that are very emotionally charged and have, uh, you know, are very desirable to one side or the other. Right. But because they're totally unrelated to what's actually been filed in the arbitration or filed with the judge, the judge would never otherwise be able to award anything of that sort. That's right. And I mean, that is, is if I had to um, give one reason for mediation, mm -hmm. and why I often do support that approach, it's for that reason right there. It's, it allows me, uh, as my client's attorney, to take a, a much more creative approach and to really get what it is that my client has been looking for, and, and rather than just being pigeonholed into what a judge could, uh, you know, award as far as you know, black letter law and, uh, and 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 a standing issue, like Aaron alluded to. Yeah, and that tends to be one of the biggest selling points of a settlement a lot of the time, um, because to be honest you're not going to get everything you want in a settlement or you're not going to get all the money you want in a settlement because certain things kind of have to be factored in to litigate to the end is going to cost, I don't know, 50, 60, $75,000. So that's generally thought of as a little bit of an offset in a settlement. There may actually be in some settlements, a provision for the payment of attorney's fees from one party to another, not often, but it does happen. Or in a guardianship, the fees are generally paid by the incapacitated person's assets if they have them. And if we come to a stipulated agreement, that may not happen or it may happen. Um, but it puts it in control of the parties rather than the judge. Um, and to be fair, most judges would tell you that they prefer not to make a decision, that they prefer to have the parties work it out because it allows for each party to come away with something. And another important aspect is that engaging in, in strong settlement negotiations or mediation before you go forward with arbitration uh, or, or with trial in formal, you know, in court, it, it often allows the parties to reach a resolution on some, right. but perhaps not all sure. of the open matters. Mm -hmm. So sometimes we will settle, you know, four out of five matters where the parties can reach enough of a consensus that they're both okay walking away with whatever agreed upon settlement terms on four out of five. 
what does that, you know, why is that helpful? Well, because now we're only formally litigating, meaning going to trial on one major issue. That's less witnesses, that's less evidence, that's less days in court, it's less with, you know, writing briefs and everything else that goes into it. Absolutely. Uh, so, and, 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 you know, on another hand, too, I like to view mediation as our sort of the first uh, real day in court, right? It's mm -hmm. like a trial run for our clients. Sure. A They're, trial trial run? A trial trial <laughs> run, you know? So the, the clients are, are very worked up, high, high emotions. You've spent some money, but, but frankly, nowhere near what you're going to spend at the end of a trial. Right. People are all revved up. You probably haven't seen the opposing person in, in, in the actual physical in many years, in, in most cases, okay? Mediation says, hey, let's all get under one roof. Let's look at the opposing party eye to eye. They're going to have their attorney with them. You're going to have your attorney with them. There might be multiple parties. Right. You're going to have the mediator there who is going to generally first address all of you in one room, right? Everybody in one room. We're going to lay out the rules. We're going to discuss the main issues. And then the mediator is going to separate us. But for that you know, brief period of 30 minutes or an hour at the beginning when you're in the room with the opposing side and all the attorneys are there and, and it's the first day where you're really spending a lot of money and energy and time, uh, you start realizing like, wow, if this thing goes to trial, we're going to have three, four, five more days like this dragged out over the course of the next, you know, six months or more. And it gets real. It, 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 it Everybody gives them an opportunity to really reflect on what's the most important thing for me. And if it's a family, you know right then mm -hmm. that there might be a chance for it still to go back together, but if you go all the way to the end, it's never going back together. And I, that may be a concern. It may not be a concern. But I think when most people have to look somebody else in the eye, it softens stances quite a bit, usually. And I would say most of the time we're able to work it out. Now, it's important to know that not every mediation is one day. Correct. Right? It may be three hours one day. It may be three hours a week from then or two weeks from then. Um, it can happen over a period of time. It's not going to happen over years, but it's not necessarily going to resolve all in one day either. Right, because the first day is usually an opportunity to hear, hear each other, right? Let's, let a mediator come into the room with you privately it's all confidential what's discussed between your side and the mediator. The mediator takes everything you say and says, oh, you know, maybe this isn't really about getting written out of the will at all. Right. You're actually just upset that mom promised you her engagement ring and your sibling stole that. Right. And now, you know, you didn't have a claim for the ring, so you're bringing this other claim for being, you know, uh, removed from the will, right? right. And, and, and then maybe the mediator then leaves your room and goes in with your sibling who you're having this dispute with and you haven't seen in, in a number of years because of all this uh, emotional stuff that's happening and, and, and all the harm that's been caused to you. And, and the mediator may realize the same type of thing about, about the opposing side, you know, that it's really a, something else is motivating this dispute, right? So by the end of a few hours in, in, in an, an initial mediation, we may say, look, we've got some other information that we need to unpack. We all right. need to go back to our respective lives and, and, and do a little bit further investigation, get some additional records, some additional finance, uh, uh, financing numbers and such, and we're going to come back in a few weeks and, and talk about this further and kind of start pinpointing what the parties are really looking for. Yeah, and 
tactically, it has pluses and minuses as well, right? So in the mediation, you're going to get some kind of preview on your opponent's case. You're going to have an idea of what witnesses they might be using and what documents they might have. Now, in a purely litigated matter, you'll get discovery of some of that. In a guardianship, you never get that, which is kind of outlandish, but that's how it works. Um, And even if you get discovery, some people don't always ask for the right thing, so you might not have as good of an idea about someone's case as you think. But conversely, they're also getting a peek at your case. So again, tactically, in a mediation, you usually don't play all your cards, right? If you can get to a resolution without playing all your cards, that's really where you want to be. If it's coming to the end, you have to kind of decide to pull the plug on it without playing your cards, generally speaking. Um, there may be a client or two that wants you to play what, you know, your ace. I'm not going to call it the other word, um, card, and, uh, and play it. But generally speaking, I would avoid that because at trial you want to be able to put your best case forward. With, and some of it, I don't know if surprise is really the right word, but you, you don't want to have your whole case laid out. But you're going to have to expose some of it. So I think what some people miss is not only is the legal work important, but the 3D chess is important too, right? or game theory or whatever you want to call it of X, Y, Z, X, Y, A, you know, and getting to a point where that logic tree fits what you want. So I'll be a little less esoteric in the second half of the show. I'm sorry, but that's, that's how I think. So we're coming up on the news. When we come back, we're going to continue to talk about, probably get deeper into the difference uh, between mediation and arbitration and talk about arbitration and what can be done there. This is Life Happens Radio. I'm Aaron Connor from Pure Connor and Strauss. Welcome back to Life Happens Radio. Aaron Connor, Pierre O'Connor, and Strauss, joined by Jacob Bertrand. We are talking litigation, arbitration, mediation. And we've spent most of the first part of the show talking about mediation, some litigation, but we haven't really touched on arbitration yet. So, Jacob, why don't you give the, the listeners a little bit of a rundown of the differences, I guess, between arbitration and mediation? Yeah. <clears throat> so... For the longest time, right, pre-arbitration, I'm sure arbitration has been around for a very long time, but it hasn't had the same sort of uh, you know, impact that it has now, where it's very prevalent, uh, especially in a lot of like employment contracts and, and, and uh, if parties want to you know, agree uh, to arbitration. Uh, but previously, you, you really only had the courtroom, right? So if you had a dispute right. with somebody, you would have to bring your dispute into court, and you were at the mercy of the, of the, of the court's uh, calendar. Right. So uh, if, if you're in an area where the courtroom uh, has. A- Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Uh, 
billion cases on its docket, you know, you might not see any kind of relief for two or three years, right? Judges uh, have a lot on their on their plates. You know, if a lot of cases are going to trial, uh, you, you may not see your day in court for a very long time. Right. Arbitration, on the other hand, right, is an opportunity to agree, right? There's a process for how we agree. Uh, who's going to be the judge, right? So this is not somebody who's been elected or appointed as a, as a formal judge. Uh, these are usually very experienced uh, trial or litigation attorneys who have taken courses and done trainings and, and gotten experience uh, uh, overseeing cases like a judge would do. Uh, they're familiar with the rules of evidence and uh, you know all of the, the uh, aspects uh, of litigation would ordinarily be in court. The difference is, though, the parties are, are usually agreeing uh, to split the costs, right? So, right? so instead of a judge, which is other than your filing fee, you can get in front of a judge for free. Of course, you're paying your lawyers, though. So you're still paying your lawyers, but in addition to that, you're bringing in this third lawyer who's going to hold the title of arbitrator. This person is going to serve as your judge. They're going to rule on motions. They're going to make rulings on evidence. They're going to set a briefing schedule and, 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 and do all of the things that the court would normally do. The difference is there's some sort of agreement between the parties where they're being paid for their services. Well, this is very important, right, because this means that if a court, you were going to take two or three years to get your day in, in, in court, here you can get an arbitrator to hear your case in a couple of months. Right? Right. If the lawyers are all prepared, and, and the arbitrator has time on his or her calendar, uh, you can get in there quickly. Uh, this is particularly important for smaller cases, I think, right, where, you know, you, you can loosen the rules, right? Not all of the strict formal rules that apply in a courtroom have to apply in arbitration if right. the parties agree, right? Yep. We can say, hey, we're not going to do any briefing. We're not even going to file a complaint here. We're just going to show up. We're going to verbally articulate our case to the arbitrator, we're going to call one or two witnesses each. We're actually going to put a cap on how many witnesses each side has because it might be a small dollar amount, right? Maybe right. we're just fighting over $50,000. So it would be absolutely silly for the parties to rack up 50000 each, you know, fighting over this right. when they could just go in, you know, maybe spend 5000 on their lawyer, 5000 on the arbitrator, uh, and, and, and get their ruling. And, of course, many contracts require arbitration. Correct. So – Commercial cases, which we do some work in, not really Jacob and I, a little bit here or there, but those are often required to arbitrate. Um, I sh some of your, I assume, employment cases are employment, required. Yep, employment has been a, a growing one. Um, so I, I represent a lot of employees uh, when they're, uh, if you have a contract uh, with your employer and, and you are terminated wrongfully, usually uh your day in court, so to speak, is subject to binding arbitration. But thankfully, usually the rules of employment arbitration is that the employer agrees to pay it. But in order to keep the arbitrator neutral, right, uh, we don't tell the arbitrator where the funds are coming from, mm -hmm. right? So they could, if they've been doing it long enough, they've right. got a pretty good idea <laughs> of where it's coming from. <laughs> they've cashed right? a few checks in their it, day. Exactly. But, you know, it's designed to be as neutral as possible. Nothing's going to be perfect in this world, right? Right. Um, but um, just because it's mostly in commercial and in employment disputes does not mean that we can't agree, uh, you know, to, to do things via arbitration. And uh, 
I don't think we see it so much in, in pure surrogates court actions that, that we bring. Now, um, we have done some arbitrations tangentially related, right? So if there was uh, business issues related to an estate or how much a, of an estate owns or what a business is worth that's in an estate, we've, we've arbitrated that. We have, um, you know, mostly related to businesses, I would say. So maybe capital contributions in a parties of the estate, and we need to figure out who owns what or who owes what. Also can be as important as who owns what. So um, it does come up. And again, I arbitrations are sometimes a, a piece of the bigger puzzle. Right. Right, where we might arbitrate one of these you know, if somebody dies, they owned a business. Now there's a business dispute, and we can't move the estate litigation along until we have a decision on what's happening with the business. Who's right. who's going to control the business? Who's going to be able to use or vote on particular shares? Right, uh, and the partnership agreement or the, the uh, corporate agreement, mm -hmm. you know, uh, membership interest, the, the the operating agreement, whatever it may be, they may require also binding arbitration and what binding means is that when a decision is rendered that's it right there really may be like, a comp there's a confirmation done but that's really a very ministerial act but but you've raised a great point on on the differences between litigation and arbitration right, right. is that aaron mentioned earlier that that generally there's one or two levels of appeals when we talk about a, a courtroom litigation you know the, the traditional form but with arbitration, the parties are really agreeing that whatever this arbitrator, who has right. been mutually selected by the two or more right. parties, whatever this arbitrator says, even if they get it wrong, you're agreeing in advance to accept that decision. And it can, it can be a bit of a buzzsaw. Ooh, it can only be appealed under very, very, very limited circumstances. Uh, I, I don't know that I've ever seen an arbitration decision get reversed on an appeal. That's not to say it can't happen. but it's Yeah, I mean, it could essentially be wrong on the law, and I don't think it gets it turned over. I think you have to show that, for instance, that a conflict existed with the arbitrator that was not that wasn't, disclosed. That wasn't disclosed. Right. If, you know, just because a conflict existed, if you knew it and still agreed to it, right. it's not going to get you there. Correct. So, you know, arbitration in that regard, it's intended to be speedy. And right? final. It's intended to be speedy and get the parties to closure as soon as possible. Got a little bit extra risk, yep. but it's got some reward. Right. And... <laughs> Everything in litigation is a cost-benefit analysis, right? How many positives can we get to outweigh the potential negatives of going down this route? So it's, it's really very important that people understand that because in a failed mediation, well, you just all go back and you, you litigate your case. And actually, you you're just hit another place that I want to mention is that arbitration tends to lend itself more often to starting with mediation. There's usually right. one or two mediation sessions. Right. If progress is being made, we keep it as a mediation and we see if we get the deal done. If it's, if it's looking after a day or two that these parties are simply never going to agree, they're too far apart, then it just moves into arbitration. But the kicker here is that unless the parties agree otherwise, the mediator is generally not the same person who's going to arbitrate the case right. because so much is discussed in private and in candor right. during those mediation sessions, right? So we don't want, you know... You don't want to say too much at mediation just in case. But at the same time, mediation as opposed to arbitration is designed so that you can be a little bit looser when you're dealing directly with your mediator because they're supposed to, under their 
agreement, right. keep everything confidential. So to make sure that they're not making a ruling based on, you know, some of the information you may have conveyed in, in, in you know, candidly, uh, we usually seek a, uh, a, a new neutral arbitrator if the mediation falls apart. And that's something that many people may not realize is that a lot of times before you get to a trial, there's a conference with the judge that may be on the day of a hearing. It may be well in advance of a hearing. There may be multiple conferences with a judge. And a lot of times that judge is going to say, all right, I want to talk to the lawyers individually. You guys consent to that. Or I shouldn't say guys, but does everyone consent to that? And then they will talk to one and say, well, these are some weaknesses with your case. Kick that person out. Talk to the other. There's a lot of arm twisting that good judges do. Not every judge does it, but... Generally speaking, it's beneficial for everyone if the judge will get involved and try to work out a settlement. Um, but to do that, you do have to expose a lot of your case to the judge because the judge may say something to you and you may disagree with it. And I've had at least one judge tell me when I say the word respectfully that they don't want to hear that come out of my mouth anymore because they know that that means I'm going to disagree with them. So As long as you say with all due respect <laughs> yes. before you say But it. they know. They know that this is this is not what they want to hear. Um, but to that point, Aaron, a lot of judges are actually implementing techniques and strategies that mediators and arbitrators would use. Right. Uh, they don't call it that. Correct. Right? We call it court conference. You right. show up for your day of trial. You're all prepped. You got your witnesses, uh, you know, sitting in the other room ready to testify. And then the judge calls you into the back into chambers to have a discussion. And, I mean, realistically, that that is very similar to what a mediator would, would attempt to do. Uh, except right. instead of showing up thinking you're going into mediation or knowing you're going into mediation, uh, you show up and, and now you've got the, the judge twisting your arm slightly. And – it comes from a place, I think, truly, like, of the heart. Oh, yeah. Right? Judges really do not want to see the parties paying out tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars to lawyers to then not be able to get a, a, a decision that perhaps gives either of the parties what they really want. Right. And it's going to be adverse to someone. Right? It's going to be adverse to somebody. And a settlement, you can get aspects for both people. And, you know, some people have a really hard time with that. But... Generally speaking, it's better to a judge is constrained by the law. And the law will only let them do certain things. And, and we, we don't talk about this a lot, but jurisdiction is obviously is a very important thing. A judge may not have jurisdiction over certain other claims, like we said, or people, which is problematic. So settlements usually give the parties a good solution. Now, if a settlement doesn't work, there's mechanisms to go back, right? It may not be the easiest thing to do, but if someone's violated a settlement agreement, you have a claim. And yeah. generally, they're responsible for returning fees from that point forward. Right. And, and I mean, I've negotiated, you know, I, I, without exaggerating, mm -hmm. right? Hundreds, right. perhaps thousands of settlements. Right. And I don't know that I've ever had a client come back to me and say that the settlement isn't being honored. Right. I'm sure it happens. I've had it happen. I'm, I'm sure there's some terms, right? A settlement may have 10 terms and right. perhaps some of the terms aren't satisfied. But just for the listeners, right? Just understand it is a, it is a rarity. It is very, very rare that I, we have somebody come back to us. And I think I can only think of one case. Yeah. And it was a guardianship case and it had to deal with a visitation order, which is very unusual. 
right? But sometimes we have to do that. We have to have a court-ordered visitation so there's no more, the parties are at such a, I don't know, loggerheads or whatever you want to say, that they can't, they're never going to agree on anything. So we build in a, and this case was a disabled child with divorced parents, and they had aged out of everything else. And even though there are two types of guardianship in New York and what we call a 17A would have been available, it's not, doesn't really handle this well. So we did an 81, we got the father visitation, and then it was not honored by the mother who thought she could just, you know, substitute her own judgment. So we ended up going back. And in that case, we asked for dad then to get full guardianship um, because mom, you know, but at the end of the day, we ended up with a new order, which to date, and this has been several years now, has been honored. But that is the rare occasion. And generally speaking, I don't don't anticipate that. And most judges are very solemn, very forceful when we put a settlement agreement on the record that can't change your mind later. This is it. Have you conferred with your attorney? And all of those questions are going to be asked. So I think that's a good place to, to take a break. We can take a break here. We'll come back, go over some final differences between arbitration, mediation, probably focus more on the litigated differences. Uh, this is Life Happens Radio. I'm Aaron Connor from Pierre O'Connor and Strauss, and we will be back right after this. Welcome back to Life Happens Radio. This is our final segment for this morning. Aaron Connor, Pierre O'Connor and Strauss, joined by Jacob Richerow, also of Pierre O'Connor and Strauss. And in case you don't know, Pierre O'Connor and Strauss is a law firm. We do estate planning, elder law, estate and trust litigation, guardianships, business succession planning, special needs planning, planning for planning, um, all of those areas. So if you have a need and you haven't addressed it, Consultation with us is free. I encourage you to reach us, reach out to us either at purelaw.com or give the office a call at 518-459-2100. We are here talking about litigation, arbitration, and mediation. We've talked about how mediation is the least formal of these processes, and you are not locked into anything with mediation. Arbitration is in the middle, but perhaps the most final of all of them. Because once the arbitrate a binding arbitration is over, there's very little you can do. In litigation, probably the one that most people are familiar with, but is really not as final as people think it is, unless it's a, a settlement agreement. And because of that, we see a lot of judges who will make us, for example, file a second or a third petition. In a case that, you know, in arbitration or mediation, we would have just filed one document and it would be agreed upon by the parties. Like, we all know what we're here to talk about. Right. We all yes. know that there's three or four moving parts here and, and, and it's in front of the arbitrator or, or the mediator and right. we're going we're gonna to discuss it. Whereas the courtroom, traditional judges and the traditional litigation process is, is so strict and traditional and, and in some ways archaic. Right. Yes. In the way that it operates is that, you know, 
just because a judge knows about a particular issue and knows that one party has a, a, a separate dispute against the other party and they're properly in court, the judge may literally and often does looks at us and says, I'm sorry, guys and gals. We can't talk about that issue because right. you haven't submitted a petition on that exact issue. I right. know we've talked about it. Right. You know, I've heard I've heard everything you have to say, but you're going to have to spend another 10 hours of legal fees and and file another petition uh, before I'll, I'll even mention that. My clerk won't let me talk about that <laughs> often. It's often said. <laughs> exactly. So I just want to talk a brief minute about what post-hearing is like, okay? So you go to a hearing. Everybody puts their evidence in. Very rarely does a judge render a decision immediately, okay? Can it happen? Sure. Has it happened? Yes. That's usually a bad sign for somebody because it usually means that the mind was made up before the testimony. In other instances, there's post-trial briefing, meaning that you file a brief saying that this is what we proved, right? And the law applicable to it is this. If it's a jury trial, there can be jury instructions, but we try to avoid jury trials at all costs in our area of law. So, But, but to be clear, briefing means that the attorney is reviewing and combing through a transcript. a transcript. Yes. And my old boss and mentor used to describe reviewing transcripts as the cure for insomnia. So if <laughs> yes. you're uh, ever uh, up awake night and counting sheep isn't working for you, open yeah. up a transcript from somebody's testimony and start reading that, and, and, and you'll, uh, you'll, you'll be snoozing in no time. And I will say your recollection of someone's testimony and the actual transcript will often diverge, yeah. too. Yeah, and sarcasm tone doesn't always convey very it's true. well in, it's true. On, on paper. Um, so even when that is done, even if we agree we have to submit a proposed order and there's language, okay, that can be an issue. Most times it's not. But the real unknown factor is if a judge has to issue a decision, it can take a long time. If they don't really want to make a decision... It can sit for a long Now, it's not supposed to sit for more than 60 days, but guess what? They do. Um, every judge has standards and goals set by the New York State court system. They don't have to make it in every case. And those cases that are particularly thorny or they don't like a decision, that they may just sit there. And I hate to say it, but in our world, sometimes the problem goes away because someone passes away. And that is also a factor in someone sitting on a decision. Um, so you could do the best trial work in the world, and it still could be months before you have a judgment. Because the decision by itself isn't a judgment. You have to make it into a judgment. Then you have to file it. And again, all of that, plus money and time. And let me be perfectly frank with our listeners. There have been times where we get to a decision and now we're ready to move forward with enforcing the judgment. And guess what? The parties settle then. So we have actually reached post-trial or mid-trial settlements where tons of money has been spent. Yes. Tons of time and energy has been spent. The parties did not want to enter into any kind of real serious settlement talks or mediation. Uh, and then maybe a witness gives their testimony, and it didn't go as favorably as one side or the other expected. And, and, and you know, opposing counsel will come over and say, look, 
Sometimes the judge will do it. And like, well, I want to see the attorneys in chambers. Because let's say we've done our job and we unwound somebody on the stand, right? They lose it. They look bad. We get them to admit something they didn't want to admit, which happens. And the judge is like, I think I need to see everybody. Right. And, and, and that's very telling, right? For the same reason you don't tell a judge that you're going to be the one who refuses to go to mediation when they suggest it. Right. And just like you don't want to be the party uh, that has to contact the, the judge and say, hey, you're supposed to have a decision last week. Where is it? <laughs> right. Uh, is going to be the same reason that that sometimes it's my client, sometimes it's the other client, right? Right. If, if the judge pulls either attorneys aside or attorneys and clients aside and says, hey, this isn't looking good for party A, B, or C, and uh, you may want to rethink your strategy, mm -hmm. that's the judge essentially telling you, like, please don't don't make me, you know, write this decision when right. when we, we can escape with a, a lot less legal fees and, and probably a little less emotion and embarrassment, you know, than if this goes all the way to the end. Right. So I just think that those are practicalities that are very little known, and most people will never encounter, thankfully for them. But if you're in these situations, you need to take all of that into account when we're, or your attorney is advising you. I can tell you that no case ever goes in 100% the way you thought it was. And what do I mean by that? There will be evidence that you think is 100% admissible and relevant, and sometimes it will be denied admissibility. So what's your remedy there? An appeal, right? And not only does that decision have to be wrong, it has to have affected the outcome to the extent that it would change the decision. So that's an issue. Some people obviously get nervous in a courtroom and they don't testify maybe as well as they would have, or they just go completely off the rails. I've seen it. Like they're asked very direct and easy questions and they struggle. And the, these again are practicalities of doing these things. So these, these are reasons why a mediation can be beneficial because it gives some people an idea of what's going on. But look, there are also, and I would consider myself one of them, an aggressive attorney on the other side. That really in life, there's no other time you get to go at somebody like you do in cross-examination. I mean, you can, but you're probably not going to have a lot of friends. And if it's your spouse, your marriage isn't probably going to last very long. So it's, it's not something that I think most people are prepared for. Agreed. Yeah, a lot of people talk a big game when they uh, you know, are first... Not just our clients, right? But the other side. No, as well. everybody. Yeah, it's it's everybody is is uh, you know I I will testify well. Uh, I I'm I'm good under pressure and stress. This is right. extremely important to me. And 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 uh, um, you know, how could anybody see it any other way but my way? And after a few months or years of doing this and yeah. and and, and uh, seeing people flounder, you know, yeah. uh, and and struggle, even myself, right? I I can talk a big game when I'm the one when I'm the attorney, right? right. But I often think and put myself into my client's shoes and say, how would I feel uh, having, you know, th this individual, this, this other attorney asking me very pointed, targeted questions that are designed to invoke emotions in me? And the worst, worst witness I ever had was a lawyer. Boy, it was awful. Right. And didn't answer questions clearly, d didn't answer the question. And honestly, after that, 
the judge in that case had a heart attack two days later, and I really blame the witness for that because he was that bad. So, I mean, maybe they were unrelated, maybe they weren't, but it's just you never really know. Expert witnesses generally testify well because they've done it before. They get paid to do it. They're going to – and really, the attorneys probably already challenged some of their results with them. So, But there's an expert on the other side who's going right. to testify equally as well. Right. And then it just comes down to the judge deciding which expert witness is more credible. Right. And thankfully for us, we don't deal with experts a lot. We do sometimes have to do it with damage calculations or – Investment issues, right? Sometimes that's a problem. Should this uh, uh, trust be worth more than it's worth now? That kind of thing. But what we do is pretty varied in our, what I would say, narrow space of estate and trust and guardianship litigation. Really, no two cases are the same. So we probably would always recommend that we try mediation, but I can't say that 100% because some people it's not going to work. At least settlement. At least give me an opportunity to call the other side and see if we can sort at least a couple of the issues. Right. And that's going to be beneficial to you. Are we going to recommend arbitration? More often than not, I'm going to say probably not. But if it's a quick means to an end and it's purely like a numbers question, we might think about it. Do we recommend litigation? Well, generally we're in litigation. It's a matter of how far you go down that road and how we get you what you want. And some days that takes more work than others. So We're coming up to the end of the show. I want to thank everybody for joining us. Remember, you can give us a call at 518-459-2100. I'm Aaron Connor from Paragoner and Strauss. Have a great weekend. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.